Lauren Jackson is a basketball colossus, four-time Olympian, three-time MVP of the WNBA, the world's best league, championship titles in America, Australia, Asia and Europe. But after injury cruelly ended her career and her bid to make it to a fifth Olympics in Rio, we're left knowing little about this very private person who spent much of the past two decades overseas or living the quiet life in Albury. Lauren, welcome to Olympians Off The Record. <sighs> How are you going? Great to catch up. Um, oh, four Olympic medals, yep. one World Championship, one Commonwealth Games, two WNBA titles, six WNBLs, three European Champion Leagues, yeah. um, three MVPs, seven All-Stars. Um, it's, it's just a body of work, isn't it? I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, well, I don't know. I didn't feel incredible doing it. Um, <laughs> But hearing it definitely sounds pretty amazing. But I was very lucky throughout my whole career. Um, you know, I was always put in a situation where I could blossom. You retired earlier this year, the knee. How did the operation go? It was a huge one. You've had half your <laughs> kneecap replaced. Yeah, I've had the replacement done. Um, look, after everything that I have been through in the last two years with this knee, it was in 2006 or seven. I just felt this thing behind my knee. And like every year, it there'd be something there. Like, I'd play through it, but there was something going on. So I'd get MRIs and they'd just be like, no, it's, we don't know, nobody knew. And then, anyway, in December in 2012, playing in China, I felt a crack in my knee and I just could not actually move anymore. And had to come home, had an MRI, and they found that I'd torn um, my meniscus right out of the root of my tibia. And, like, it'd sort of broken a bit and... Um, Anyway, he fixed me and all things going well, like it was meant to get better and it didn't. It just got worse and he said that I'd play until I was 40 and no. Arthritis set in and I kept on trying to come back and pushing through things I shouldn't have been pushing through. And then I tore my ACL and got a massive infection in January. How difficult was it to make the call not to go to a fifth Olympics in Rio? Did you pull the plug in the end? Medical staff just said, there's no way you're ever going to step foot on a basketball court again with that knee. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think that from that point, it's just been a bit crazy. I don't even... This last month has been horrible. So, Lauren, was there any, was there any sense of relief? Was it all a sense of loss? What, no, what? I don't... I haven't felt the relief yet. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I really... I can't... See, I'm getting teary. This is the first time I've gotten emotional on TV. Um, I, I don't know how I felt. I really, I'm not sure because uh, I've been a basketballer my whole life. So the relief is kind of, the only exciting part for me is I got to have a knee replacement, which means that I'm going to be pain free, you know, in Rio when I get to, you know, work with you guys and that's a sense of relief for me, I think. And then also, I might be able to play again, like just socially. Um, for, they said for 20 years, my knee's going to be good before I have to have a full replacement. You came from pretty good stock, didn't you, with Gary and Marie? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> look, I, yeah, basketball background, absolutely. Mum and Dad both played for Australia. Um, you know, I probably got the best parts of both of them. 
So... Um, what are they, Lauren? What are the best parts of both of them? Well, Dad, you know, he, he would have been a power forward in today's... He, well, a short power forward. He's only six foot five, but he was so athletic, you know, really could jump and he had a beautiful jump shot and apparently that's why Mum married him, um, because of his <laughs> jump shot. <laughs> anyway, th those two got together and I guess, you know... Here I am. What about Mum as a player? What, 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 was, what was good about Mum? Well, I hear she was the toughest woman in Australia. <laughs> she, uh, she definitely broke a few noses in Aubrey, I know that for sure. But Mum as a player too, just so respected and her as a mentor and a role model. And just someone to lean on has been, you know, probably the most important part of my career. She was good with advice too, your Mum, Marie. I think because I read somewhere where when you were about 11 or 12, just before a New South Wales Country Championship, she'd been a bit injured or that. And I think Marie took you aside and said, well, look, some Lauren, um, toughen up a bit. Toughen up. <laughs> look, I still get that from my mother to this day. Oh, but I, I remember fondly those early days because I think it took a... Like, if I didn't have her sort of telling me to toughen up, I don't think I would have got to the place where I got to in sport. How did you go from being good to great to one of the world's best very quickly. You know, along the way, I've had so many great coaches. So I had my mum. I go to the AIS and I've got, you know, Phil Brown, who's an amazing... Um, he develops young athletes um, in basketball so well. And, you know, it sort of happened, I think, gradually, but when I was very young. And then once I sort of hit 19, 20, you know, I was very tall and lanky. And um, I just don't think basketball in Australia had seen someone quite like me at that point in time because I was so tall. You know, six foot six and someone who could move and... But then, uh, yeah, and then it just sort of went from there. It was just this crazy ride, so... The Olympic Games. Leading your country into the stadium, carrying the flag. It's the ultimate compliment, honour. What did that mean to you in London? Well, it was everything, you know. It was um, probably, like, it was the greatest honour of my Olympic career, for sure, without a doubt. And, um, yeah, being able to lead the national team out, um, look, it was amazing. It really was the best thing that ever happened to me in my career. I don't know whether I deserved it, but I'm just so fortunate to have had that opportunity. Well, there's no doubt you deserved it. And, and oh, I'm, I'm speaking yeah. for all Australians when I say that. What did you think when Chef de Michon, Nick Green, called you up for the job? That may have been the first time I teared up, um, like, from someone in a high position for me in, the, in my career. So that, and then I, oh God, and then he was like, now you have to keep it quiet for four days. Did Mum and Dad get a chance to come over? Did they know about it? They, Mum and Dad apparently were on a plane um, flying over to London and the Qantas um, captain got on the speakers on the, you know, loud phone, whatever, and, and told... Um, the whole plane <laughs> that I was the flag bearer and I think, you know, mum started crying they brought champagne to them and everything and it was just so random. It was such a big deal but it was totally unexpected. From carrying the flag to a bronze medal game, not a gold medal game, but its own way, it was a remarkable match in your fourth Olympics. Look, I've been burdened with injury for the last four years and I went into... Um, London with this hamstring issue and sciatic nerve issue. So I had this injury, you know, and then the day before our first game, I, I 
got this amazing opportunity, you know, to lead Australia out um, at the and I was never going to say no, no matter how injured I was. I could have been walking on one leg and I would have made it out there for sure. Anyway, the next day we played England and, I mean, you could tell I was struggling and right through the Olympics and it just got to that bronze medal game and oh, I wasn't... We were, like, it was sort of driven. I was not losing that game. We were not losing that game. It was actually much more fun to winning it winning a bronze medal instead of losing, you know, the gold, which had happened three times before, so it was a great night. <laughs> so London was your fourth Olympics. Let's go back to Sydney, your first. You're just 19 years of age. In the final against the USA, you had a great game. 20 points, 13 rebounds, up against the great one, Lisa Leslie. We do love a great rivalry in sport, don't we? Tell me about that one. Well, what happened before that was... Oh, she, oh, she was my idol. So when I first went up against her, you know, and, and started playing against her a couple of years beforehand with the national team, I was probably only 16, 17 when I first came up against her. And she was so rude to me. At that point, I just remember thinking, no, nah, I'm going to go, you want to be like that? I'm going to be like that. And ever since, it's been just a, a fight between us, so... And particularly in the final game where the, your, your fingers got <laughs> tangled in her hair, I mean, can you... Did you do that on purpose? No. <laughs> oh, no, I swear I didn't. I swear to God. Um, I went up for a rebound and my finger, I think it was my pinky, got caught in a hairpiece. I had no idea anyone wore a hairpiece in a basketball game. I mean, how are we supposed to know that? I didn't know that. So anyway, I freaked out and I was like, bam, and I flung it. And I just remember going, shh. You know, like, oh, my God, what is that? And then she <laughs> ran over, picked it up and threw it into the crowd, into the media section. And, um, oh, I, yeah, from I never... I copped a hell of a lot of flack after that, especially from American people, but I had no idea that what I'd done. I had no idea what sort of controversy. The beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> I don't All think. lack thereof. <laughs> no friendship, for sure. There is a bit more to the rivalry which goes on and on through the WNBA and Olympics, but Lisa Leslie named her daughter Lauren. What do you make of that? <laughs> I know. I can't... I don't understand that. Yeah. And LJ, the, the first two mm. initials? Yeah, no, it's so funny. Um, have you ever spoken to her about that? No. I, like, she would deny it anyway. Like, it just really... Gosh, I just wish that we could have sat down and had a conversation because pretty, I'm pretty sure we would have been really, like, cool, like, good friends. The Opals finished with a silver medal in Sydney and four years later, history repeats itself. A silver medal against the Americans in Athens, but we were leading in the third quarter. How much did that loss hurt? It was probably our best opportunity to win a gold medal and it was, again, another bit let down. It was, it was weird because we were really happy that it was over, but we sort of knew then at that point we could get there. Like, we could... It was in our... Even if we didn't win that game, it was in our grasp, you know, for Beijing. 2008 Beijing, again, Australia up against the Americans, but this time we lose by a fairly heavy margin. Three Olympic finals, three silver medals to the same opponent. Pretty tough. Beijing, again, it was another different experience. And I think as I got older, um, the reality of how big the Olympics actually is um, definitely set in. And, you know, I'm not sure I played ever played my best basketball at Olympic Games. Um, I just wasn't good enough to help our team beat the, beat the Americans. Um, but, you know, in saying that, I think that they've got perfect opportunity to do it now. Um, they've got all the pieces, so... 
Let's turn to the WNBA. You were the number one draft pick. Everybody knew you after the Sydney Olympics. How tough was that transition? Mum and I were actually just talking about this the other day, the trip to New York for the draft. And, oh, my God, I had no idea what I was in for. Um, when I was young, I was just... I would get so worked up, like, in when, when things were foreign to me that I couldn't... Un and I couldn't understand them and I'd cry and I'd get really emotional. But, you know, obviously only around Mum. Everything was so new and so big and it's just such a totally new experience. And so I get to the WNBA and I end up playing. I got 13 technical fouls my first year because I just could not keep my mouth shut. But I was 19 years old too. So, you know, I was either going to be scared or I was going to be just brutal. And I turned out being brutal. It worked for me. At the end of a very successful first season, you come home and there's a chance you might not go back. Is that right? Look, I was so... Um, I was so young and I was just so afraid of everything. It's just been my whole life, you know, this horrible anxiety. But, you know, you either get through it or you don't, and I did. You won two titles with Seattle and you were named MVP on three occasions, the first non-American to do so. Pretty remarkable. It was crazy because we hadn't even made it to the finals that year. The following year we won it. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I must have played pretty well that season to get that to get that honour for sure. Because it's it's always a little bit controversial if someone wins an MVP and their team hasn't even made the playoffs, you know. So ever since then, though, we did. The satisfaction of that and the two championships must have been incredible. Oh four and ten. They were pretty different teams, weren't they? And, Very and you, different. Yeah. Even in different cities, but you yeah. you did it differently, didn't you? Very differently. I think that by 2010 I was very well um, oiled <laughs> in a sense that I just knew what was happening, I knew what I was getting myself into. Looking back now, that actually probably was my best year and that my last real year after that and I had hip surgeries and that's when it started. Like, Because it was a back that sort of brought me on for all these other issues. I didn't I did not take care of my body properly um, post-2010. I was just sort of pushing to try and make money. And is, it, is it a glamorous lifestyle? Is it, is it... For women um, in America, not so much. We, I mean, we don't get paid much over there. I mean, you know, I was pretty much at the highest level over there um, and we aren't pittance compared to the men. You know, for who I was and the player I was and everything, I was on 100 grand a year. This is why I am here where I am, is that women, if you're at the highest echelon and you choose to make basketball your career, you're at 35 with no partner, no kids, everything that you want in the rest of your life and only a family to lean on. So it's kind of like it's a, it's a two-way street, so you give your life to something and then all of a sudden it's gone. Whereas the men, they have to play six, nine months of the year and then they take the rest of the time to rehab their bodies. Whereas I've just been injured and tried to, you know, push through everything and then it just got to the point where it was, you know, I couldn't push anymore. For years you never had a rest, no off-season. And you've said that you had to chase the dollars. The money was huge in Russia. You played there for nearly a decade. Your team was Spartak Moscow, a team that was owned by a former KGB spy, I believe, a mega-rich businessman who had a very interesting past. I can't really, like, tell you initially how it happened, but I came upon him in 2003 um, and I went and played a, game, a couple of games for him um, and then he just sort of said, all right, now, whenever you play in Europe, you're playing under my team. 
Um, so that's how he got me over there initially. And then in 2005, I think I went over there with the Canberra Capitals because we had like a world um, championship for club teams. And, you know, we did pretty well, but, you know, I ran into him again. Um, it was in Samara in Russia. And anyway, he, um, he kind of picked me up from there. I, I went, I left Canberra um, and played in South Korea for a season. And then at the end of that season, he was like, come over here, I'll pay you this if you give me this. And then the next year, I mean, probably that month, he had me off my South Korean contract and on a Russian contract for the next, until he was murdered. In November 2009, Shabi von Kalmanovich was gunned down in his car. And it's a car that you travelled in so many times. It must have been a very surreal, strange experience for you. Gosh. His murder kind of like rocked me and I remember it happening. It was really bizarre because it was when I, I was in Canberra. Anyway, I got a call at like two o'clock in the morning. It was Sue Bird just saying, answer your phone, answer your phone. And there was lightning and thunder and it was crazy. It was the first of November. And um, I answered my phone. She's like, he's dead. He's, he's been murdered in his car on the way to pick up some of our teammates. And I was like, what? <laughs> like what? And she's like, no, he's gone. He's dead. And it would have been two weeks before that that I'd said to my uncle in Aubrey, like, the only way I don't go back there is if he gets murdered or has a heart attack because he had a bad heart. And because, like, I was starting to get a little bit afraid about some things and stuff. And it was a really bizarre experience. But he was so good to me. And I know his family. I know his kids. So I'll never say a bad word about him, but he was, he was tough. And I, I saw him make people wet themselves, grow men. You know? A different world for some of us, isn't it? Yeah, but he was so good to... He never, ever mm. said a bad... He was always so supportive and his family's always been so supportive. You have moved home to Albury and you've built the dream house. Enjoying the quiet life? Oh, it's awesome. I love my home there. Like, I grew up on the Weir and, I, you know, being able to wake up to it every morning is just a blessing, but... The, the problem is sleeping, you know, I can't sleep, <laughs> so... Because of the situation at the moment? It's just, yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's hard. It's just a really, I don't know, like, I really don't know how I feel. I just, I'm kind of numb. How do you unwind? How do you relax? Glass of wine um, on my balcony, just on the lounge looking over the weir. It's my dream. That was my dream place. So building that place was... That was my first moment of happiness, I think, like real, true. I remember breaking down in the car with Mum, just saying, I've never been happier in my life um, when I built that house, so in that house. I just don't know how I'm not going to, like, how I'm not going to be in that arena anymore. I don't know how, um, I get bored easily, you know, and so I think that might be a problem. Um, You've said where I spend my time and energy is critical in the, in the future. I mean, that's really what you're talking about a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really, I mean, look, I, like I said, I'll take on any challenge that comes my way, but I, um, you know, at the moment I think I'm a bit vulnerable too, so. And what about Lauren, the person off the court? She's crazy. Don't get to know her. She's crazy, boy. Well, I'm game. No, you're not. Trust me. No, I'm pretty private. It's all good. Yeah, you're happy? I am... Except for all this. Happy. Yeah, no, I'm pretty normally. I'm a 
pretty happy person. You know, you're getting me, you got me. You're the first, you know, interview I've done really post my retirement. And I think that, like, I still don't think that I'm, you know, 100%, you know, mind, body and soul, obviously. I'm still recovering from everything. And so it's going to take me a minute to get back there, but I've got a lot going on in the next couple of months, so I'm pretty sure it'll happen fast. You will be in Rio commentating for Channel 7. Be an expert for a minute. How do you think the Opals are going to go? I think they've got a really good shot this year at winning gold. Um, you sincerely believe that? Absolutely. How much of a key is Liz Cambridge? Could we see the birth of a new world sporting superstar? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. She's, I've never seen anyone like her. And I think, you know, back when I came through, nobody had seen anyone like me. But, um, you know, even Brittany Griner in America, she's long and lanky and, you know, yeah, she can tongue. But Liz is strong and she's agile. She can move. Nobody can move her off her post when she's determined. That girl is, you know, I've seen her pretty fierce, um, you know, but she's got to be in the right frame of mind. She's got to be ready and, you know, she can't back down from anything. And that doesn't mean you know, punching to get your own way or cursing or doing anything. It means just having that really fierce state of mind where nothing's going to get in your way. And, and I think, you know, if she can find that in herself, um, she, she could be the best player in the world, no doubt, you know. Realistically, can any team beat the USA? They're going for a sixth consecutive gold medal. You know, um, they did not select Candace Parker. And I said to my mum the minute I saw the national team, I was just like, this is unreal. You know, she's won two MVPs, I think, in the WNBA. She's solidified champion. She wins everywhere she goes. She's, uh, God, she's just been an amazing player too. You know, just athletic and as a power forward. I don't understand how they've, and they've brought in one of the college kids. So vulnerability, maybe, but they've also got the best of the rest. But look, I, I truly believe I'm going to stand by my comment about Liz. She gets it all together. I reckon that's just about it. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've... You're probably tired from I'm all not day. tired. Lauren, thank you so much for coming in. No I really, problem. I really mean it. It's been yeah, lovely. No worries. And uh, look forward to seeing you in Rio. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I hope I do okay. You'll do very well. <laughs> believe me. Thank you.